Let us pray. Most loving and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear your voice. Lord, may your word be spoken and your word received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We continue to move through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and in this section of the lectionary, we get only this small section, which is really five verses, but says so much to us again in this section of Paul's letter, where he moves from telling us what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ to showing us what that lived life looks like in response to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're called right from the beginning of this section to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. And there's a call in here to understand the Lord's will, to not be foolish. And so one of the things in the Christian journey that our heart should be longing for is that we understand what God's plan is for us. And as Paul moves to challenge us to do so, we have to understand first and foremost the things we've talked about before, which reminds us how God sees us and what God has done for us. And it's in knowing who God is and his love for us that then Paul says we're to live out our life in response to that. That we want to know what does God have in store for us? What would God have us do? And in order to understand that, there, there's two primary, or three perhaps, primary things that we as followers of Jesus need to understand that. Number one, we need to spend time in prayer. Because it's in prayer that we deepen our understanding of who God is and how much He loves us. It's in prayer that we come to understand what God desires for us. That we allow God to speak to our heart. And these are the times where we don't have to have all of the right words. That's not the key to prayer. The key to prayer is coming into the presence of God and placing ourselves there and allowing our hearts to be open and asking for the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart to speak to the heart of God and for God's heart to speak to us. And we can ask for that and then say nothing else. We don't need to have a whole list of particular things to say or the right words. We need a heart that desires to hear from God and then we need to wait. And over time, entering into the presence of God, we more fully know His love and our heart is more secure in who we are in Christ. And that's what we need to know first and foremost, is who we are in Christ, and then our hearts and our minds get transformed by that time that we spend in the presence of God. Which then brings to mind the things in our lives that we need to make decisions about or actions that we need to take. 
and then should guide us on the path of which way to move. But it's that first and foremost living in that place of relationship with God that's going to get us there. Then number two that we need are the scriptures. The book that God has given us to show us and remind us who He is and who we are. What's been done for us and the life that's available in and through Him. And so we have to spend time reading scripture on our own, coming together for Bible study, and we never get to the end of it. That's the beautiful thing about scripture. It will speak to us day after day, year after year, even if you think, well, I already read that part. Well, chances are if you read it again, God's going to speak again and speak anew. And this is a book that we read over and over and over again because it's God's voice to us. And with that same open heart we entered in prayer, we enter into the scripture saying, Speak to us, Lord. Show us what this means. Show us who you are. Show us who we are. Show us the way to go. And then trusting that the words he's given us here are meant to guide us on the journey. To, to let us know more and more who God is and to be our rock and our foundation when it doesn't make sense intellectually or emotionally. But we stand on the rock of who God has revealed himself to be. And then that third piece that we need in our, our quest to live a wise life is we need one another. For God has called his people to be a church. That means a community of people who gather together with their, with their gifts and talents, with their strengths and weaknesses, with their joys and their sorrows. And together we're on this journey, listening for who God is, reminding one another of who God is, reminding one another of God's love, holding each other up in our times of sorrow, rejoicing with one another, in the times of rejoicing. These are all essential things for our living out a wise life. This is why we don't believe that the Christian journey is one that you do on your own. Just a private thing with you and Jesus off at your house. That we need one another. Not that it's optional and it's better if we have one another. We need one another on the journey. It's essential how God set it up. Even when we get on each other's nerves, we need one another. We need all of those things that go into the relationship to be on this path together. That's part of living that wise life that God called us to. And it's foolish for us to think we can do it on our own. And we'll just figure it out. That in order to persevere in prayer, we need one another. In order to understand the scriptures more fully, we need one another. In order to walk on the journey, we need one another. And then we gather here to hear the word of God proclaimed and to receive the very gift of God himself at the altar. That this section from John's gospel that's been going on just as long as Ephesians, over and over again, week after week, I am the bread of life. I am the food for your journey. I am the one who will be with you. Take me into yourself to strengthen you. I will be your sustainer. I will be your provider. These are all the things we're meant to understand as we approach the altar rail and receive the Eucharist. This is who Jesus is saying that he is. That in him we have everything. And we're cautioned by Paul, well, don't be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
And really what he's doing is presenting two different uh, ways of being intoxicated. That you could be intoxicated with this world and out of control, or you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But just in the same way in that image, just as all the things we know about what can happen when we're intoxicated with alcohol, the Holy Spirit is meant to consume us in the same way, to totally take us over, to totally live in us. This is why he uses these two together in the same image, to say, well, we know what this can do in a bad way. The Spirit must do this in us in a good way. The complete opposite in that image, but one that we all understand. And that part of our prayer is that asking for the Spirit to live in us in that fullness. Not just a little tiny piece that we access whenever we want, but will the Holy Spirit completely consume us to change us into the image of Jesus? That's what we're really looking for as followers of Christ. That's what's available to us through the Spirit poured into us. And in this life of doing so then, we're to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to make music in your heart to the Lord. That the response to this life, Paul sees, is one of praise and thanksgiving. That the church is to be people of joy and thanksgiving and gratefulness, recognizing our blessings and so many things that we have, everything that comes from God. Because that's what Paul says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is a guy who writes these things who ends up in, in, pres in prison and being killed. And even from prison he says the same things. Give thanks to God in all things. Not every circumstance we face we have to be thankful for. There is heartache and tragedy and things that are not as God has intended. But what Paul is saying is that even in the midst of our biggest struggle, God completely loves us and we are completely redeemed in and through Jesus Christ, who has given himself for us. So no matter what we face, even on our hardest day, we cry out with joy and psalms and spiritual songs because God has given us everything. And God has defeated even our worst day. That's the good news of the gospel. That's how Christians gather and rejoice in the midst of tragedy. That's how at a funeral we cry out, Alleluia, because we know what God has done. In the midst of the sorrow and the loss, we give thanks to God for everything. Because everything we have, every breath we take, is all a gift from God. And so let us today, as we're here, gather as a people of thanks and joy as we recognize the love that God has for us. And may the Holy Spirit then change us into the image of Christ day by day. And may we allow those things that God has given us, prayer and scripture and the church, to be vessels of God's grace and love that we might come to know Him more and that He might live more in us. Let us pray. Most loving and gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day and for all of your blessings in our lives. 
May your Holy Spirit teach us day by day what it means to be loved by you. May we find joy and rest, renewal and refreshment in your presence. And no matter what we face, may we understand that you have secured the victory. And may we as a church love and support one another as we walk this journey with you. And Jesus, we ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.